Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to a great podcast with Beth Stevens at Open Door, just a quick note, cruisetax.com is live. It is TurboTax for startups. That's right. We figured out how to make it super easy for you to add your information, answer a couple questions, and boom, we do your taxes in 10 days. TurboTax for startups. Cruisetax.com, K-R-U-Z-E, tax.com. This is a really good podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Bye. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and my very special guest today is Beth Stevens of Open Door. Welcome, Beth. Great. Thanks. Glad to be here. So this is, it's been, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for about a year now, so maybe two years. I've been a little busy, yes. but yes, yes. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Uh, Beth runs, uh, well, tell them about your background, and, and I have a joke uh, after oh, you great. say what your title is. Great. Yeah. Uh, so I am, you know, titles are funny at startups, but I am the head of legal, but I actually run the legal team the real estate brokerage team and the insurance team at Open Door. Oh my gosh. So huge responsibility. So I would always be like, hey, come on the podcast. And I, and I was waiting for you to have the lame excuse of compliance won't let me. But I knew you were compliance. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I, I do run the compliance team yes. too. <laughs> so, uh, so Beth and I have been friends for 10 years. We went to business school together. Incredibly smart person. Now incredibly successful person. Awesome to have you here. Um, you've worked at law firms. You've worked at a bunch of startups. So I kind of want to go through all the war stories. You also have some really good tips for startups that are out there listening. But first, kind of just how did you how did you end up at Open Door? Retrace your career. I always like to start at the beginning. Yes. So I did my undergrad at Northwestern, go Cats, and then went out to DC uh, first. And so I had a government job first, and then went to Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a huge government consulting gig. And what I realized there, the work was was great. I had a lot of opportunity to do cool stuff. Um, but it was the same thing day in and day out. Uh, and, and this thread is relevant uh, to where how I got where I got. But it was really boring. So I went and did my JD MBA at Northwestern, which is where you and I met. Um, so I'm a lawyer and uh, Kellogg grad. And ended up doing the classic law firm thing. Law firms are not for everyone, and they were not for me. Uh, I don't understand their model. They make way too much money. It's really inefficient and dumb, uh, although I value them now as in-house counsel. Uh, you, it's like great to have them when you need them, but... You know, they're expensive sometimes. Yeah, when you need the perfect answer, they're a yeah, great yeah, place yeah, to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, there's gradations of lawyers, so I don't want to give them too much yeah. of a bad rap. <laughs> uh, but then I realized that I was an in-house lawyer. And so I spent a, almost a year looking for an in-house job. I was a general litigator and ended up at Sidecar, which was an early uh, ride-sharing app. It was one of the first, and then Lyft came, and then Uber pivoted to do right, what we now know as UberX. Yeah. Uh, so joined that early stage. I was the second attorney and ended up probably about three months in, the GC left, the general counsel left, and I became the GC. Uh, so it's just being lucky and rolling up your sleeves and doing the grind. Uh, I was there for almost two years, like getting that company through all of the regulations getting passed, all the crazy insurance stuff that was happening. I remember you going to tons of like city council things and like knock down, drag out, like across the country. You're oh, flying yeah. like everywhere. To battle it out yeah. about to protect ride sharing. That's right. I testified before um, Congress, yeah. and then I testified before uh, Washington D.C. City Council. That one made it on NPR, which wow, was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and then I remember I did a red eye to Chicago. Like Uber and Lyft had probably 
20 to 30 people doing what I was doing oh my God. <laughs> all by myself. Oh my God. Um, and, but that's part of the fun of startups, yeah. right? Yeah. You're just grinding it out. So I got the opportunity through a buddy of mine who became CTO of this new startup called Ernest to yeah. join when they were pre-Series A. They were seed round. So I jumped at that and became general counsel of Ernest. I was there for about two years. I left uh, two years ago and joined Open Door. Yep. Um, so again, like you never know where the job opportunities are going to come from. Like who knew the CTO knew a lawyer, right? <laughs> also, <laughs> Might be a like good you've fit. been on the front lines of like the ride sharing evolution, the fintech evolution, yeah. and now Open Door is like this fintechy. I don't even know it's how you describe estate. it. Yeah, real estate. Now yeah. I'm doing real estate. Yeah, I like heavily regulated stuff. <laughs> it's interesting and it's hard. Yeah. Um. And but you're still doing all the classic startup stuff. Like yeah. I, I, you will never see me go work at a SaaS company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as important as those are, and, and they need lawyers too. It's I Well, you know. also, the challenge makes you, uh, A, it's fun, and B, it makes you incredibly valuable. You know, yeah. like you're able to figure this stuff out. Yeah, and regulated startups need lawyers, yeah. <laughs> and they value them more. Yeah. So I'm more integrated into the day-to-day operations. Yeah. And talk a little bit about Open Door now. Like, what do you guys, I think I know what you guys do, but mm-hmm. maybe what, what the company does. Yeah, for, for those of you that are listening that don't know what Open Door does, we are empowering people with the freedom to move. And okay, what does that mean? Um, but we're breaking apart the traditional home buying process. So today, when you want to go sell your home, one of the biggest barriers to sell it is finding a qualified buyer. And what I mean by a qualified buyer is someone that has the financing to buy the home. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really tough process. And you go through time to list, maybe not in San Francisco, but in other markets. Your home might be on the market for 30, 60 days. You've got showings. You've got to get the dog out, the kids out for that 2 p.m. Tuesday showing that your agents have lined up. It's incredibly inefficient and really painful for yeah. people. And you can't move because you've got a new job or the kids need to get into a new school district or all the hundreds of reasons why people move. You can't buy your next house without clarity of right. knowing. I mean, most people, like I couldn't right. buy something. Well, first of all, I'm not a homeowner yet, so I'll, <laughs> you know, be using that someday. But you can't, you don't have, you don't know when you're going to be able to buy your next house until the existing one sells. That's right. And, and that's the hardest part is you can't carry two mortgages yeah. um, for a lot of our customers. And then there's a large group of our customers that are like, man, I don't want to deal with this. This is a hassle. So what Open Door does is sellers will come to us and say, hey, here's my house. I want to sell it to you. And we'll say, great. Here's an all cash offer for your house. And when, when would you like to close? That's amazing. Right. Yeah. So it's a great experience for the seller. They get out of their house with an all cash offer. Then we hold the property and turn around and list it and sell it to buyers. We're not flipping. We're not making. Uh, we're not changing bedrooms or doing any of those shenanigans. Um, but we have all day open houses. So we have a proprietary technology system that allows you to text to enter, yeah. go in and view the home at your leisure. You can have an agent or not have an agent. We're really agnostic to that. We have good partnerships with real estate agents in the markets that we are in. So today we're in Phoenix, Dallas, Fort Worth, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Orlando, Raleigh, Durham, and we're about to launch. Wow. This year is going to be a lot of growth. We're going to launch a lot of markets this That's year. That's a lot of markets so already. stay tuned. Ten, yeah. 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 Phoenix and Dallas, Fort Worth are our original markets, and they're two of our largest markets. Wow. And it's like you can you take care of everything for the seller, mm-hmm. but then you also have a new relationship with the buyer, right? That's right? Like you now know that person and you know can work with them, or maybe the next time they move, mm-hmm. you'll work with them. Do you guys keep track of that stuff, like lifetime value of the customer? Oh yeah, come on, it's a startup. Yeah, of course yeah. we do. We live and die by the <laughs> metrics. Um, no, absolutely. And and the really cool thing is we can do stuff that other people can't do when you're buying from an individual consumer. So what we see um, in some of our home builder partnerships is 
there's a real need for multi-generational family homes uh, in, oh, in the markets that we're in. Like grandma and grandpa? Yeah, yeah. Or you've got, uh, we had some retirees where it was a woman and her husband and then the sister whose husband had just died and they wanted to move in all together, but they needed the right space to do yeah. that. So we actually bought their two homes and sold them a third home and closed all on the same day. Oh, my God. And only we can do something yeah, that yeah, unique yeah, yeah. Um, because we, we've got that uh, set up and that system set yeah. up to work. You're kind of like, you guys have visibility across, like, the market. You know the Phoenix market or yeah. D- Dallas market, right? Yeah. So you know what's... I heard someone talking about um, how travel companies, like the, the Expedias of the world, have so much information that they know exactly what's happening in any given market. It's yeah. kind of similar for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's just really exciting stuff. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of data out there about the housing industry and what's going on in any particular yeah. market. Um, and then we, we get the information on the ground, working with agents, working with yeah. customers, and, and just being there buying and selling homes. Yeah. Oh, that's what, so I've always loved this concept because there was this guy, uh, I'll probably butcher this, but Wayne Heinzanga did something like this for cars. Mm. And, and I think like he owned Blockbuster too yeah. and owned the Miami Dolphins. But he figured, I think it was like Car Nation, or I'm but totally butchering this, someone will look it up. But he provided instant liquidity mm-hmm. for the car market. You used to, when you used to sell a used car, you would have to like put it ad in the newspaper and yep. all this kind of stuff. And then, well, it's what CarMax does, right? CarMax. Yeah. I, think, I think it's CarMax. I think he had something before CarMax. Got it. But I don't think anyone could ever do this because the capital costs were too high. Mm-hmm. But you guys have, like, I've seen the announcements. You have huge capital lines with Wall Street, right? So mm-hmm. that. You can buy a house and not have to worry about it, and you have the funds. That's right. It's it's just like any asset-backed security. Yeah. Um, lending has this. Um, yeah. All of the fintech companies yeah. aren't just like lending money out of their pockets. They have uh, access to the capital markets, and they have debt structures, and so do we. Um, and so we can borrow at a cheaper rate than I personally can to get a mortgage That's on a house. Yeah. Because the company's collateral, like Open Doors, collateralized the loan. Yeah. So did did you help set that stuff up when you came in from Ernest? Like that's right up your alley. Yeah, we have a really strong and awesome capital markets team, and they had already done a lot of the legwork. Uh, and one of my colleagues on the legal team, which I hired after I started, has deep experience in single-family resident ABS. Oh, my god! And gosh. so she has come yeah. in and done some really exciting stuff. That's so awesome. it's cool. Yeah, that stuff is – that's not my bread and butter, yeah. but I know how to hire. So <laughs> I was looking around a while back. I was looking at this doing a project for something else, and I was looking at – there's a bunch of REITs that started uh, in the downturn that bought like 5,000 houses mm-hmm. and they're, they're publicly traded and it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So you, so you're like in the real estate world now, but you have, you know, a ton about FinTech. What are some of the lessons along the way? Like you and I are talking off mic. There's a lot of good stuff that you've seen at early stage startups. Open mm-hmm. door is probably like a mid stage startup. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We did our D last year. So. Oh, well, you're already in D. Wow. Oh, yeah. that's, that's good. It's moving fast. Yeah. So I think the universal messages, particularly for early entrepreneurs before you get a lawyer in-house, are to be thoughtful about what you're agreeing to and what you're signing up to. And I recognize I've been at early stage stuff. I recognize that, man, I just need to get money in the door. I don't care what the terms are. Um, but, But really stop and think about it and say to yourself, do I want to give away, for example, these investment rights or information rights? Do I want to, if this thing is successful... And I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm, you know, the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Do I still want to have to give this old investor uh, all of my financials? Yeah. Um, or maybe our relationship is spoiled. Yeah. And I no longer want to be giving it to them. I'm, I'm making up scenarios, but... Yeah, but people who are um, 
see that stuff can sometimes have off the record conversations with other people, even though they're not supposed to. Right. Exactly. And, and word gets out on like how well you're doing or how bad you're doing or how, when you need financing and things like that. That's right. And so you want to be really thoughtful about the rights that you're giving away for your non-major investors. Um, and major investors are typically defined in your deal docs of having invested a certain size. Yeah. These people are usually your board members, so they're going to see this stuff anyways. And, mm-hmm. and you, you obviously always know to be thoughtful about that. Yeah. But then it's the, the additional money that comes in that's kind of follow-on money or, or other investors who, who can't be lead investors or major investors that will ask you for extra rights or you'll do a convertible note series where they'll ask you for extra rights. Yeah. Just be thoughtful about it. You yeah. don't have to say yes. What do you say to people who like they have a, they're, maybe they're a small fund so mm-hmm. they're only doing like a small part of your round but they have a fund and they need to report back to their investors. Like how do you like you pretend you're the the GC of a small company right now. Like, yeah. what would you say? I think it's a business to business conversation. So, what I typically do is coach, you know, the CEO or whoever is having the conversation uh, with the investor of like, hey. You know, we want to get you what you need to be comfortable, but we also don't want to have these long-standing obligations that follow us yeah. around. So let's talk about what do you actually need. And when you approach it with that business hat on of what do you need and why do you need it, people are like, oh, yeah, I need it for these reasons. Yeah. Um, the the first stop for many people is just to ask for the kitchen sink, uh, right? Because people will give That's, it. Yeah, exactly. That's a good law, lawyer trick right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you won't know until you test it where their comfort zone is and what they actually need. So just ask the question. And you can always do that in a way, you don't have to be a jerk. <laughs> and you don't have to push super hard at Especially if they're gonna invest money in your company. You that's want right. the money. That's so right. you know like, Yeah, but but there's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, like I really want to understand why you need this, um, because it puts an administrative burden on my team to collect it for yeah, you and get it for that's you. That's the right way um, to say it. So yeah. and they don't want you spending money on that. They want you spending money on finding product market fit or scaling yeah. and growing or whatever yeah. whatever stage you're at. Um, so that's one way to be thoughtful about it. But but this message kind of holds true to not only like your um, equity investment experience but it also holds true if you're raising debt money if just generic contracts uh you would not believe the SaaS contracts i see that have crazy things in them um and if you're if you don't have a lawyer that's okay just read it yeah like you're most people are smart enough if they'll spend the time reading it they can be like wait a minute what are some of the crazy things you've seen like uh my, uh, my favorite is um the auto renewal you know, and I'm like, take that out. I'm not auto-renewing yeah. unless you send me an email and tell me what the new price is and all that kind of stuff. Auto-renew is the devil, is yeah. the mantra I yeah. say with the teams. Like, yeah. nothing should ever auto-renew. Yeah. So you'll, you're not going to win, like, on with AWS and Google, so yeah. don't try. But on some of the smaller SaaS companies, you can kill auto-renew. Yeah. Um, and you just have to explain, like, we can't support this. So auto-new is a good one. Indemnity is one that's tricky oh, that yes, people talk see about this. capital letters and just stop reading. Well, um, no, this is a great one because I have some strong opinions on this. Yeah. So indemnity is okay and you need to be thoughtful about what's the risk in the, that I'm accepting. So if you have customer personally identifying information or sensitive information that you're sharing with that third party, you may want your indemnity levels to be a little bit higher. You also want to think through what insurance do I have? Like, what are my liability coverage that cover whatever risk is in this agreement? And then be thoughtful with the other partner of, hey, I I can't indemnify you for everything that's your fault. Yeah. Um, If you're working with, I I don't want to name names, but if you're working (laughs) with a SaaS partner that owns the system, is responsible for its data security, and they're holding your customer's information, they don't get an indemnity 
for not doing their job and yeah. protecting that yeah. information. How are you able to get that? Like, are you, because I'm coming from the other side of the equation. Like, we have an identification in our, our stuff, or yeah. else our insurance actually requires identification. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, I would say 50% of the companies, that's the only thing they come back on our engagement letter. And I always, I always say, and it's the truth, I'm like, we can't change that because that's what our insurance policy requires. And they're, 90% of the time, they're fine with it. Yeah. But, like, I get a little annoyed or tired of people asking for me to always lower my indemnity. But that's kind of what you're advocating on the other side as a client. Like, ask, you, ask for it, see if you can get yeah, it. Yeah, you don't thing. know what the other person's going to yeah. say. You know, I, I got an agreement at, at some place to be unnamed. <laughs> And the indemnity was something super low. Uh, I think it was two hundred and fifty dollars or something ridiculous. And so we pushed back, and, and they immediately popped it to one million. And and their answer was, well, we just want to see what people ask for. If they're for. even reading it, yeah, yeah. that's uh, kind of back to your point. Read the contract. That's right. Um, not everybody's a good guy. Yeah. And I know. and they will try to take advantage. Yeah. And you're particularly vulnerable when you don't have an attorney that's looking out for you. Um, or you don't have time to spend on these things because, again, you're trying to find product market fit and you're trying to grow your company and hire and do all the things that you have to do in an early stage company. So it is worth the time, or at least you find the things like the auto renew is a great example. Yeah. Um, or trying to make sure that you can get out of that contract for convenience. That's another phrase I like to stick into contracts instead of signing up oh, for a year term, three year terms. Exactly. I didn't, never even heard of that. Yeah. No, that's a Wait, good, that's so a trick. can you say, like, how does it read? It'll be in your termination language, and you'll have all these things, material breach, yeah, other yeah, yeah, other yeah. things in it, yeah. and you'll then you do semicolon, or, and if there's a numer- Roman numeral you put it in, for convenience of either party. That's, we have, we let people terminate immediately, and we yeah. terminate immediately, but we, we support for 30 days, because that's the right thing to do and help sure. people. But it does, actually, I found having that mutual termination is actually really helpful. It actually makes people feel really good on the front end and you don't want to be in a bad relationship. Like right. if you're in a bad relationship and when accounting is like super near and dear to the company's hearts, like if it's not working, it sh- you both should get out of that relationship. I've seen other accountants drag their feet and not let people terminate because of a contract and it just like, it really hurts. You yeah. know? The other thing I'd say is speaking from experience, you're right that like not everyone's a nice person and we've been lucky. We've had very few kind of, of those bad experiences. But in the cases where we've had them, we are so glad that we have a good engagement letter because it takes the stress level down from like a 10 to like a one. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there who really try to do terrible things and or threaten terrible things thinking you'll crack or whatever mm-hmm. and when it's not your fault. and yeah. Or you didn't do anything. They're, sometimes you work with people who are not very good at what they do. And... They will sometimes try to, they don't realize they're not very good at what they do or they do and they don't want to blame it on somebody. So having that engagement letter or the contract is your best friend. And that's a really great point about professional services, which is slightly different than what I was talking about with SaaS services. So if you're using a recruiter, for example, because you need to hire a bunch of engineers, read that recruitment agreement. Oh God, big time. Those are probably the worst yeah. there if if there are onerous terms that that recruiter will not work with you on then you might want to find another recruiter there are really great recruiters out there who are on your side and will help you um they still should get paid for the work that they for do sure. yeah. even if you guys can't find a candidate together yeah. um, and you can work that out with them yeah but if they're going to hold you on the hook for years and years and years and charge you even if they didn't introduce you to the candidate 
find a different recruiter. I, I totally agree. Yeah, we've we've been lucky. We have a couple of people we work with who are very good and super ethical. And if anyone needs those names, let me know. You know, but and and that's the other thing I'd say when you work with a good service provider, spread the word because mm-hmm. they're you're helping them. Yeah, the SaaS auto renew is is. Uh, it's the I devil. I guess it's just like it's that lifetime value of the customer. Oh, it's know? the devil, and and remember, they don't care, uh-huh. right? It's not. There's no drain on their resources for them to have another customer in the same way that a professional <clears throat> services agency yeah. like Cruise Consulting or they, has. Or they set up the uh, impossible to navigate cancellation thing, oh, and then yeah. absolutely. One other thing, we so as always, a lot of the best stuff comes out early when I don't have the mic going because we're excited to see each other. You had you had a, a bullet point about like being thoughtful about equity when you're a startup and yeah. equity for employees. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, and it, this is going to change over time. But but if you're early an early founder and you're you're thinking through what how do I want to grow my company and how do I want to be thoughtful about it, you want to make sure that you're planning and able to give employees stock options without giving away the farm, and then having enough in your pool. That in the pool is what the board will authorize for you to issue in, in stock options to employees. Having enough in your pool that you can continue to give refreshers mm-hmm. uh, to keep people motivated and to keep people staying with you. Uh, the reality is when you're an early stage company, you can't necessarily compete with the Googles and Facebooks and Apples of the world in terms and even larger startups who are able to offer uh, RSUs or restricted yeah. stock units. You, you just can't and that's okay. So you have to find other ways to compete and it doesn't mean you give you know a million or a half a million options away. What you try to do is be like, for these roles, what kind of options do I want to give? What's market? What's reasonable? Mm-hmm. And then what's the appropriate cash comp that goes with it? Yep. And then think about what are the other things that attract people to working here? Yep. Um, the vast majority of people that are going into startups are going because they're excited about the mission or they're excited about their growth opportunity and their career trajectory or they're excited about the chance to be the next you know, snap or whatever. Whatever's cool, and lift, they, et cetera. Yeah. And they're excited about building whatever the company does, you know. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So if if you're early stage, like don't skimp on those people processes and thinking about how should I be uh, compensating people in a total package, mm-hmm. and then what are the non-monetary things that are meaningful to folks. Yeah, yeah. So giving people more opportunity to advance, or giving people management responsibilities, or you know, all of the things that people get motivated by. I find that like I think that's an awesome point about the new responsibilities or new opportunities because I find and we do that here really aggressively because it helps it helps people become more of a well-rounded professional and they see the bigger picture really quickly and it's also just more fun to come to work when you have some variety Mm -hmm. and so like we we have the philosophy of like giving people extra like everyone at cruise consulting not everyone but the the people who are ready for it take on a functional role they either help with recruiting or they help with finance or they help with marketing or whatever it is so that you get a different slice of things and you see Sometimes you see the very best of people when they get they lock into that extra functional thing and they start kicking ass and it spreads throughout their whole. So I I, I love that. It's not just about money. I find that it's almost never about money. It's almost always about how people feel and the vibe in the office and am I growing? Is my career progressing? That's right. And and I think the other thing too is like the number of options you give can be a signal for how valued 
yeah. or how much you value the person. So that's why you want to be thoughtful about it without giving everything away because your board members are going to be like, we just raised the pool. Why are we doing this again? What are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, and you don't want to have it so dilutive that those things have no meaning when you're DEF yeah. or going public. Yeah, for so, sure. So be a little thoughtful about it and think about it more holistically yep. Yep. as a percentage of ownership is a great way to think yeah. about it. But I think you're exactly right in terms of it, it was the thing in my first job that I hated and I was so bored because it wasn't exciting. Yeah. And I always knew what my day was going to be like. One of the things I love about being you know, a general counsel at a startup is I have no idea what the day is going to be. It's the deep end of the pool all day long. Yeah. Um, and I tell everyone that comes to work for me, this will be the deep end of the pool. I may occasionally throw you a life preserver, but you're going to have to figure it out. I hope you're okay with that. That's to- we do the same thing. We, hi- we always say we hire for people who take action. Yeah. And um, that's a very kind of unique skill with accountants. The accountants, the stereotypical <laughs> accountant would prefer to sit back and think about things. And, not, and so mm-hmm. if you look, you saw the whole office. Like those people all like take action. They get stuff done. Occasionally, you have to be okay with them making mistakes sometimes. They're going to make mistakes. Sure. We message that to our clients that we prefer people take action and get your stuff done. So, but, but it's like the same thing. We definitely are the deep end of the pool. and I, I love it. And I actually love seeing people swimming for the shore in the <laughs> deep end or whatever, the side of the pool. Yeah. And you're like, ah, they're going to make it. They'll yeah. be okay. You know? I mean, look, I make mistakes. Everybody make mistakes and that's okay. It's just, did you learn from it? Yeah. And did you apply your learnings um, to the rest of the team or the folks that needed to learn from it? I, so mistakes are fine. Failure I, is fine. Yeah. Uh, we work at startups. Those have to be okay things. It's, it's so true. So... Another thing I want to talk about, how did you go from the law firm to a startup? Like you talked a little bit about that sidecar mm-hmm. and how you, but I remember you looking around and from my perspective, you took kind of a job that was like, you were a pretty badass person and you took kind of maybe a lower on the rung job than I would have expected. Yeah. It didn't feel that way at the time, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was probably, gosh, I, I must've been a sixth or seventh year associate somewhere around that ballpark, maybe sixth. And I knew I had to get out of the law firm. I knew that that was not where my career was going to go. And the benefit of being in the Bay Area uh, was there are so many startup folks. And having gone to business school, I have a ton of contacts. So I think I literally applied to every in-house job. I had coffee with everybody. Um, All of the people from our JD MBA program, the Kellogg program, I toyed briefly with going into business, going into corp dev, uh, which is, you know, what lawyers do when they're tired of being a lawyer. Um, And, and just did the grind. It probably took about nine months. I worked with a recruiter. Uh, My resume is probably at every single company. (laughs) Here. And I just got lucky and got inter- asked to interview with Sidecar and ended up going through their kind of outside counsel first um, before I came uh, oh, in-house. Really? They introduced you. Yeah. Well, they um, they had me interview with the outside counsel first before I met the GC, which was sense. interesting. Yeah. Well, they were looking for a number two. Their GC was incredibly busy uh, with all the regulatory issues. Yeah. And uh, the guy I met, we just clicked. It was one of those, you don't know what you're applying for jobs and the recruiter posting. It's like, oh, well, I haven't tried this one. Let's see. Uh, and it was for the number two position. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterize that it was beneath me. 
it was yeah, actually just like it was I know you had a good strategy you're getting in where you could get in and that's learn, right. right you know and which I have abdicate I think that's really smart I think there's different tactics to take depending on what kind of lawyer you are I was a general litigator and it's a non-obvious place to go although if you look around in Silicon Valley a lot of the GCs at early stage startups and, and startups that have been successful were litigators Interesting. a few are corporate but but when we talk amongst ourselves, we have secret groups. Uh, we, secret Slack channel. That's right. Uh, e- email. We're, we're still lawyers. Uh, <laughs> we we joke that a lot of us were former litigators, and, and I think the reason for that is you see across a lot of problems, and you you know how to anticipate that a problem is going to occur. Versus a corporate lawyer's core skill set is you know documentation deals, and, and yeah. thinking about deals, yeah. and they're both equally good skill sets. Yeah. Um, they just ha- they have different approaches uh, to getting a new job. Uh, so when you're a general litigator, it's not obvious where you fit at, at an early stage startup. So you you got to just do the grind. Yeah. And I did it, and I got in, and you know my the GC at the time was a really great guy. Ended up leaving. I guess I was there maybe three months, three or four months before he left. And I was like, okay, cool, rolling up my sleeves. Yeah, let's do um, this. Doing it, and then uh, eventually talked to the CEO about making me general counsel and all the things that go with it. Uh, my, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but my mantra has become, before I ask for something like that, well, what would a white dude do? <laughs> Very good. Say no more about that. Yeah. Uh, I think women tend to not push or advocate for themselves and wait for someone to say you're doing a good job, you deserve to be promoted because yeah. it should be so obvious yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah, killing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And instead you have to say to yourself, okay, what would a white dude do? And he probably would have advocated to become GC the minute the old GC yeah, left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so you got to find your, yeah. your right space. And, and I that's, think that's great advice though. I mean, Vanessa, you know Vanessa, yeah. our, my wife, but also our founder, and like she's aggressive. She, you wouldn't, she wouldn't have got this business going. She got this business to a really big scale by just asking for what being direct mm-hmm. and asking for what she deserves and and being a good problem solver that's and right. like that's kind of like that's really it's kind of that simple you know and, and i think from time to time you know not at open door but at other places you'd see the audacity of some really junior people <laughs> it's like wait a minute that guy got that i yeah. should get that yeah. Um, yeah. so i i mentor and coach a lot of women when they come to me and they're like oh well, i have this opportunity but I don't know. I don't know why they want me, or don't think I could be successful. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Stop. What would a white dude do? Yeah. Like they take the job. <laughs> you have your answer. <laughs> so I think that's just important, um, particularly for women or underrepresented minorities, yeah. to take a pause, ask themselves that question, do some power poses in the bathroom, and then go for it. You, I like the power pose. That's yeah. good. You never get told no unless you ask. And, you know, I think also people, um, at least this is how we operate, we're fine saying no. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like we actually like the aggressiveness. And, you know, so it's not like you're going to – it doesn't get held against you. No. It's like, yay, yeah, In that fact, was a good idea. it's an invitation to have a conversation about that's, how do I get there. That's the way – exactly. So then you can get feedback and be like, mm-hmm. this is where you need to improve and da 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 And we have those conversations all the time. I, yeah. I think that's awesome advice. Yeah. We're for, we have a lot of really amazing women here – Part of it probably is that a female founder draws amazing women. I know we've heard that in interviews. So, yeah. But you're you're doing you're doing God's work. That's really good. And then and then when you're in that and when you're in a position of power, right, or influence, the way I am uh, today, you can call out situations or you can help yeah. pave the way for others. So you can see where someone's continually getting interrupted in a yep. meeting, um, or someone is 
contributions aren't being valid or credits being taken. And you can help either them navigate that for themselves or you can help self-correct in the meeting. Uh, a woman that works for me who is incredibly smart, absolutely 100% knows what she's doing all day long, was getting talked over by someone more junior than her in another group. And I, I did it to her once as well. And we were talking about it afterwards. And I said, well, you know you do this weird pause like you want me to jump in. She she didn't a, realize it. Oh, really? She would be talking and she'd be about to start a conversation and then she'd pause. And, and I'm sitting there being like, oh, fill, you want me to speak? Do you want me to say fill, something? Fill What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was always in like conference call type yeah. situations. And I said, you did a weird pause, so I thought I was supposed to talk. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I didn't know. When people fill the empty space. They will, That's right. they will talk. Yeah. That's right. And she goes, oh my goodness, you're right. So she stopped the pause and that problem has almost That's completely amazing. gone away in, in her partnerships with other team yeah. members. Um, we had a good one like that, that Vanessa noticed that I, I was blown away by. She sent an email to like a bunch of the guys, especially she was, she was like, hey, we have a Zoom meeting thing. And so... We have a big conference room where there's seats around the table and then there's seats along the whole wall. And she had noticed that the men were sitting at the table. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the women were sitting along the sides. I didn't even notice it. And she's like, hey, I want – do not take all those seats. I want women sitting at that table because the, the Zoom picks up mm-hmm. the table more, more than it picks up the sides. And I was like, that is a great observation. That is one of those little things that people don't notice – and then all of a sudden you're looking, if you're in a remote office, you're looking and everyone's sitting at the table as a guy, mm-hmm. except for the one woman founder. That's bullshit, you know? So she called yeah. it out and that, that stopped actually. It's really interesting that specific point you bring up. A mutual friend of ours who worked at Goldman, they did a training. She was telling me about this. They did a training for women and sitting at the table, plus your body posture yeah. at sitting at the table was critical to how serious people took you in the meeting. Yeah. So for women, what you want to do is you want to sit at the table. You want to lean forward and put your elbows on the table. Yeah. So your Look body, me, I'm, that's how I'm sitting. That's right. I, no, and I'm, I'm leaning actually, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you want to engage and you want to say something impactful within the first five minutes. Yeah. And, I love it. And most women don't do that because we're, uh, we're trained by society to be team players, yeah. to hand the ball, to yeah. share. Yeah, 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 and yeah. and men are, you know, this is a gross generalizations, yeah. but men are trained to jostle, to grab the ball, yeah. right? Um, so those are the things that you have to think through when you're in a corporate situation. Uh, the, those playground rules have it's, translated into our adult lives. It's so true. And, you know, if you're in a position of power, first of all, just recognizing is the first step. Yeah. But as a, as a woman and as a senior woman in my org, I try to help others along say, like, you can't really say that to people. Yeah. Or could you be more inclusive and, and talk not just about, you know, football on the weekend, but make sure that you're checking in with the female temp- team members and having, you know, a relationship with them, too. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the same. Yeah. But I, you, you're a leader. You need to check in. It's really good feedback. And it's... And that kind of stuff, also, like, with retention and growth, we're very fortunate. Like, we have some amazing women who just kicked ass in our organization. It's from a purely, like, capitalistic perspective, mm-hmm. you know, it actually pays off. And then from societal benefit, I, my mom was an entrepreneur, so I, like, watched her grow a business. And, it, like, the, you actually make a lot better decisions when there's a lot of women in the room. And That's I right. saw this at Lighthouse because we had two women partners out of five, yeah. you know, and I saw, I've saw i seen this every stop of Well, the of research micro. shows it, right? Like yeah, how many totally. articles does HBS have to put yeah. out there before we it's start believing totally it? totally true. And there's been times where, like, 
it just you just make a better decision. You have a better dialogue. You make a better decision. Yeah, I mean the good news is the team that I work with at Open Door are so amazing, and the and the senior team are so open to these kinds of concepts. I mean, it's yeah. part of the reason why I'm there. Yeah, uh, I work with really thoughtful. That's probably why they hired you. They reckon <laughs> they recognize they value it, so then yeah, they're I like, so. oh yeah. But I work with really amazing, thoughtful people who always want to do the right thing, um, and that once you're there, you know, talking about how do you pick where you go, uh, once you get there. There's so much you can do with yeah, that uh, yeah. when people want to do the right thing. And enable a lot of people. Yeah, that's um, right. This has been an awesome podcast. I, I was joking that before we turn on the mics, we've started doing second podcast with people, and you'll be one of the second podcasts. So oh, there's a man, lot more i got to come up about. with more content. Yeah. Um, so maybe tell everyone where they can find Open Door and yeah. give the quick pitch again so that they know Great. when they're buying a house or selling a house in one of those markets, they can use you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just opendoor.com. You can also check out our mobile app, which is on Android and iOS. Uh, it's Open Door Homes in the App Store. Uh, so check us out there. You can see the type of homes that we buy and sell uh, in Phoenix, Dallas-Fort Worth, Las Vegas, Orlando, Raleigh-Durham, and Atlanta, and a lot more markets coming soon. That's awesome. And if you're a female entrepreneur or an executive or someone who needs a little help or a little coaching, yep. hit up Beth Stevens. That's right. Uh, and also, Open Door is hiring like mad, oh. so check out our careers page, too. That's really good. All right. Thank you, Beth. Really appreciate it. Thank you.